Morning, everybody. Yeah, here we go. Okay, um, when, when you walked in this morning, on the left-hand side of the, uh, the school there, there's a bunch of cut-down boxwoods. And what's left is just all of these gnarly-looking stumps. That's the image that we're working with today. Interesting image. Uh, but it turns out that this is an image that you can trace all the way from one side of the Bible to the other. But let me try to make it a little more personal first. Not that personal. <laughs> We're going to get through this sermon together. Okay. Uh, what in your life right now looks like a stump? Right now, it's my sermon <laughs> for me. Dead, ugly, lifeless. Uh, but for real, what in your life, when you sit, we're in this four weeks of Advent, and part of, part of Advent is to be a little sad vent. I'm going to stop one day, I promise. But there's, there is a part of Advent that also locates us in the reality of where we currently live not only in the celebratory part of where we live, but also in the despairing part of where we live. Of, of who we embody, who we are, what the places we find in ourselves and in our world that we're not happy with. Where are the stumps for you? Where are the places that just look like there is no life coming out of this? The, place, the places inside of yourself that you're like, I just wish I could grow there. I wish something would happen, but I just don't see a thing. It's dead. A relationship, a personality trait, a difficult circumstance in your life, an internal temptation or struggle. What do we normally like to do with stumps? They have a whole service that maybe you could even see a couple of people in this congregation about helping you. We like to grind them. Like, get those things out of here. Uh, we had these two trees when we moved into our previous house in, uh, in Lakeland. And there were these two stumps, these giant oak trees that used to be. And all that was left was these two stumps about this big. And they were ugly and gnarly. And they were kind of caving in because they were so old and been sitting there for so long without being taken care of. And I come home from work one day. And Sarah has this, like, mischievous grin on her face. I'm like, what'd you do? And she said, well, you'll never guess what happened today. There was this wandering stump grinder man, and he just walked up to our door and knocked and said, do you have any stumps I could take care of? And I said, yeah. Now, I tend to be a little more um, miserly than Sarah does. And so and immediately I start thinking about all of the dollar signs that came out of that stump grinding in our backyard. But there was that, we walked in the backyard, and there in those places where those stumps used to be was just these piles of mulch that we then got to go use in the garden. Pretty nifty. Here's the problem about the image that we're about to read and the reality of those dead places that we find in our lives. We, we can't just grind them away. Like, there's no stump grinder powerful enough to get to my heart. There's no grinder powerful enough to break some of the 
chains of this world, to break some of the difficult systems, to, to break any of the things that we see out there or in here that we just hate and we wish would go away, but won't. That's where Isaiah wants to meet us today. In this bit of Advent where we're really focusing on the waiting for Christ to come. He did come one time. He will come again. We live in this middle, waiting, uncomfortable period. And so we're going to read and jump into what's happening in Isaiah's life is not too far dissimilar from what's happening in ours. Isaiah is speaking into wreckage. He's speaking into lives that were wrecked with sin. He's speaking into a city that was wrecked with sin, that it was falling apart at the seams. 200 years prior, King David brought this amazing rule, this amazing kingdom, and it lasted for like five minutes. And then almost as soon as that thing got real good and glorious, it fell apart again. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And here comes Isaiah to say both, yes, there is reason for your disappointment, and there is also hope through the disappointment into something truer and greater and better that is coming, that will happen. And that's what we're about to read. So, Adrian, could you come on up? Adrian Patterson, everybody. This is Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. There, <clears throat> excuse me. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what, he's, what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and the faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the water co waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Adrian. Don't you long for that? They shall not hurt or destroy. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. That's where we're headed. That's where all of history is pointed. And that's what Christmas is about, is marking that reality, sealing that reality. New heavens, new earth, new world, new selves, forever. But the reality that Isaiah is speaking into just before this, there's this image of judgment 
this oracle of judgment that God gives, literally in the verse just before Isaiah 11.1. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. Into that, he says, a root will shoot up out of the stump of Jesse. And so this is both locating us in the reality that this world is not what we want it to be. This world is ugly in all kinds of ways. We are ugly in all kinds of ways. But there is great potential, even out of places that look the most dead, for new life to spring up out of. So before we come to the table, we're going to do kind of two points together today. The first is the ugliness of stumps. The second is the potential of stumps. So let's carry this, this tree imagery and carry it all the way back. Again, you can trace this from one side of the Bible to another, and there's some great resources out there if you'd like to do that. But let me tell you a tale of two trees. In the beginning, there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. There was a tree of life, and there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2.9, out of the ground... The Lord God made everything to spring up that is pleasant in the sight, uh, into the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just before this, you remember in Genesis 1:27, God makes man and says that I am making man in my image. Male and female, I'm making them in my image. They already had God's image within them. And yet, there is this question of, well, I'm already made in God's image. I already have the tree of life, which is this sort of eternal perfection. All of their life was meant to be dependent on this tree. And from the Lord, they depended on everything that they needed. But right next to it, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Mankind was not meant to know evil. Do you feel that? Like, does that resonate? How much better would this world be if evil were ripped out of it? Perfection, glory, unity, everything as it should be. That's what we want. That's, that's where our hearts go. Capturing that sense of perfection and wholeness and goodness is this Old Testament word, shalom. And it actually shows up in our text. That this peace, that this new judge and ruler and king that he will bring is that word shalom. And what does that word mean? That does not only mean sort of this settled inner fortitude about yourself that, oh, I can breathe a sigh of relief. It includes that, but it also includes everything else in all of creation sighing that same sigh of relief. Everything being exactly as it should be. We had it. Tree of life, dependent on God for everything, living forever, having all food, having all joy, having all friendship. The earth was filled with that kind of knowledge. Until man chose to go the direction of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Maybe there's something that God's holding out on. Maybe there's something more. Maybe I don't have to be dependent on him. I can be independent of him. 
Does that resonate? That's every morning where I wake up and what I want to do. I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. I would rather not have to trust God and be dependent on him, let alone anybody else. My way. And yet when man goes that direction, then all of creation begins to unravel. Because if, if the tree of life is where all the source of everything good is supposed to come from, and then God separates us from that tree of life, he casts Adam and Eve out of the garden, then death comes into the world and with it every sad thing that you and I experience on a daily basis. And so that question of where does evil come from? is answered in the first few pages of the Bible. Why did evil happen is answered in the first few pages of the Bible. And this is not only sort of an act of disobedience in and of itself, it is also an act of war. It is an act of treason against a holy king who created all things and said, you were made to be dependent on me, and yet we said, no thanks. And so this world then becomes this image, stump, death, lifeless, no movement, everything stagnant and static, no curiosity, no playfulness, no joy, no hope, death. You feel that? You can find a hundred places in your life that feel a lot more like death than they do life. And so there's this longing that, that we feel. There's this longing that we're trying to locate ourselves in in this Advent season. Because since that time, life has been a train wreck. Evil reigns. Evil comes into the world through the invitation of Adam and Eve and then spins out of control across the world. Instead of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord filling the earth as the water covers the seas, the knowledge of evil fills the earth. And we experience that. So we live with this haunting sense, though, that echoes all the way back to Eden. This is not what it should be. This is not what it should be. And especially when we experience some sweet moments in life, when we experience a sunset, when we experience a a sweet moment with a friend or a family member, when we experience a great dinner, there is that sense of, this is what I was longing for. I was made for this, not all that mess. And yet, what do we do with that? Because we get that sense of, oh, that's what I'm made for, then we begin to orient our entire life around that, around achieving more and more and more of that shalom. But we we do that without going back to the Lord for it and just saying, no, 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 I've tasted it. I've tasted it, and it's food, and it's money, and it's comfort. And it's fill in the blank. It's control over my life. Oh, those are the places that feel so good and so right when all of my life feels like shalom. And those tastes come into our life and those tastes go back out. But we try to shoehorn shalom into all of our life. And then we get real mad when as quickly as we put it in, it seems to like just fly back away. As quickly as we buy that brand new shiny thing, it starts to get dull and rust. What's up with that? Why can we not find satisfaction? I can't get no. And so we end up instead tired and frustrated and worried and cynical and anxious 
because I'm looking everywhere and I'm doing my darndest to try to make this world something that is peaceful to my soul and I just can't find it. And I'm trying this and I'm trying that. Here's an example. Uh, when, when my house is a mess, I just met somebody for the first time who put some words to this. But he said, I can always tell when I'm anxious because I start, uh, I start cleaning stuff. And I was like, shoot, if that's not me. Because there are days when I go home and the chaos that's around me, whether it be the dishes in the sink or the kids' toys on the floor, I will find myself just naturally sort of running to those places and trying to fix those things and put those things back together. Because if I can have a clean sink, then I can have shalom in my heart. And so we spend so much of our lives trying to capture back that moment of peace. So C.S. Lewis says it this way. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. Made for another world. This stump of a life is not what it's supposed to be. Those places in your life that you are unsatisfied, righteously unsatisfied with, stay there. Be unsatisfied. We tend to want to grind those down and we isolate and we cope and we try to run away from it and we distract ourselves to try to just make the unpeaceful things in our lives go away and yet they still come chirping every morning. Stay there. Feel that longing. Sense that's, that sense of waiting. Stay there. Because throughout the Old Testament, God gives opportunity after opportunity to make things right, and man continues to mess it up. And we just saw that in the last couple of hundred years with the coming of King David and this glorious kingdom, but even that couldn't bring shalom. Even that fell apart as quickly as it was put together, and Israel continues to walk away from its God, time after time after time. And God's response then is to keep them cut off, to, to give them that sense of this world is not what you're wanting it to be. This promised land that you're really hoping for, you just keep on searching for and it keeps falling through your fingers because something is wrong. The reason you feel that longing is because something is wrong. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with this world. But that longing we have in our hearts for something to be right, for everything to be right, is because there is a world where that is possible. And not only is that world a future world, but that future world has now invaded ours with verse 1. A shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root, will begin to bear fruit. It's very unlikely. It's very small. It's very unassuming. And the words of Isaiah 53 begin to jump off of the page. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. But he's pierced for our transgressions, 
crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Shalom. What's Christmas about? What do we celebrate? We're celebrating shalom invading our now. We're celebrating a young plant that has grown up out of dry ground. This root of Jesse. Why is it, what's Jesse about? Jesse was King David's dad. Why did it not say root of David? Well, because David is also part of the problem. It goes back pre-David to say there is a king coming that will be even better than the one that came out the first time. There's a king coming that will similarly be meek and mild and misunderstood and confused by the world. They'll lift up the big kings like Saul and the Davids. They'll kind of brush aside. Jesus will be brushed aside just like that. But he will come to do what the first Adam didn't do. He will come to pass the test that the first Adam failed, to live this perfect life of dependence and obedience that we were created for and yet so quickly recoil from. And not only that, but he came as our substitute. He had no reason to be cut off. He had every reason to only always be unified, Father, Son, and Spirit together. And yet Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was ripped apart from the most perfect relationship that has ever existed. And in that cutting off, in that separation, experiences what you and I deserve as we have walked out on God time and time and time again. But because he experienced that, being drawn into the grave where? Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. But the beauty of this stump image is that it not only includes deadness, but consider the potential of the stump. What's going to happen to those stumps out there to the left of the boxwoods as you walk in if nobody uproots them? What's going to happen if nobody drills the holes in there and puts the uh, roundup inside all the little holes? That thing's going to grow back just like it was before, if not bigger. When you cut something off that seems so dead, there is latent potential energy inside that thing, even though it doesn't look like anything. Christian, there is latent potential energy inside you because the Holy Spirit now lives and dwells inside. All of those places that seem so hopeless, so lost, so out of control, every circumstance that feels like there's no hope, why should I even be curious about what the Lord is doing because it just feels so static? Roots and shoots. New growth can happen. Because Jesus was buried for three days and that latent energy burst up out of the ground three days later. And that same resurrection power is what we're about to celebrate here. Life, death, resurrection. And so we live in that same moment every day of our life. Because I cut down this crepe myrtle uh, that was close to my house. This was one of the ones that the, the stump grinders didn't get to. I didn't have a chainsaw, but I had one of those Sawzall things, the electric ones. So I did my best to like hack that thing to pieces. It took me like 
14 times longer. I should have just got a chainsaw. I put the weed killer on it. I did the whole thing. It looks super dead. And now if you were to drive by that old house, I'm sure it would be the same beautiful crepe myrtle that it was when I tried to hack it to pieces a year ago or more than that now. To finish out this picture of the tree throughout the book of Isaiah, if you go to Isaiah 61, verse 3, a friend of mine is planning a church uh, where back in close to the town that we just came from, uh, and it's called Oak City, and it's for this reason. Because Isaiah 61, 3 foretells of a future where those people that used to be stumps will now be oaks of righteousness. And so that little sapling that you may feel as the Holy Spirit begins to give you small tastes of what you will be forever in eternity, those tastes are meant to show you and point you and assure you that if that little thing is happening, if I see my heart shifting even the slightest, if the Lord is doing even the smallest work in my heart or in my life, then that is proof that he will forever do something greater than I can ask or imagine. Because I feel this to be true now, that big thing will be true then. Because these words are true here, they will be true in the future. And so all those stumps in our life have that great potential to be oaks of righteousness. And that's the hope that we can now live with. So I want to bring back around that C.S. Lewis quote as we come to the table. This is how that quote finishes out. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasure was never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself. That's what we're doing here. I must keep alive in myself a desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. This is not your home. It's not mine. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on towards that other country. A far country, but sure one. And to help others do the same. And so what we're going to do now as we come to the table is we're going to help each other like Lewis tells us we should do help each other, one to another, remember this reality. Eternity is coming. Jesus will return. All sad things will be made untrue. Today is the day of salvation. The offer of grace is open to anyone and everyone. Shalom will come and is coming. And it's signed by what we're doing here with body broken and blood poured out, and it is sealed. Meaning, as sure as this is real, so sure 2,000 years ago Jesus did something in history that matters. And sure that however many years in the future that he returns and makes all things new. Because this is real, so that is too. I love what we just sang joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king, the king that has been shunned for thousands of years, 
Let earth finally receive it. Because the blessings have come to flow as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found in you. As far as the curse is found in your home. As far as the curse is found in Nashville. And on and on and on. The whole earth will be full of it. Beauty, glory, peace. And so this is the invitation to rehearse that. What we're about to do in coming to this table is to rehearse that very truth. To rehearse the truth that Jesus actually did do something. And that something was done for me. Because for all who believe this morning that I deserve to be cut off from the Lord, like I don't deserve to be in his presence when I look at myself, when I get real honest about who I am, and I get real honest about if that's really who God is, I see the gap. That's who this table is for. That's who this offer of grace for sinners is for. It's for sinners. He did not come for the healthy. He came for the sick. If you're sick today, come. This is also like Lewis just encouraged us to do. This is not just something we do individually. But this, we are banding together as a church. There is something good happening even in just showing up this morning at being brought back into the reality that there is one day where we will feast in the house of Zion. And we're in a very small way tasting that feast today. New heavens, new earth, no crying, no tears, no pain. Taste that reality now. Bring whatever stump you got lay it down. Walk back into that reality of open-handed dependence, trusting God to be your tree of life. Let him fill you and let this table do its good work in you. So if those things are true of you this morning, I invite you to come. If you're walking in community with other believers, helping you to walk in that direction, and if you have come to know Jesus for yourself today, then I invite you to come. The way we'll do that, is uh, in a minute, these kneelers will be laid out in front here. You can come down. There's going to be a gluten-free option that'll be over here, uh, and you can ask for that. Um, so shift to this side if you would like the gluten-free option. Take a moment as you come up and consider what, what stump is just sitting on my heart right now. What place do I want that is broken that I want to see fixed? Bring that before the Lord. If you need somebody, if you don't even have words for that and you need somebody to pray with you, you can cross your arms uh, and someone will come up and pray for you. Let's taste and see that he is good together because on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And that bread, very real, very tangible, very normal. He knows we're forgetful. And so he gave it to us like this. And says, so as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and pouring it out, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. So Father, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would awaken in us a holy imagination 
awaken in us this reality that what if it's really true? What if this life is not all there is? What if these broken parts of myself and my world could be healed? Even open our eyes to see all the places that you're already doing that. You were doing that in a million ways around this place. You are a healer. You're a provider. You're a father. So, Father, care for us. Care for us as your children now come. And even in this physicality of kneeling before you in dependence, meet us there. Fill up all those places we lack. Convince us of your grace time after time because we're going to wake up in the morning and forget it again. With the crumbs here, fill our hearts and our minds all week of the reality of your grace. We taste and see that you're good now. We pray in Christ.